Hello, everybody. I'm Kevin Winder, and thanks for tuning in to another podcast of Beyond Everything Radio. And as always, I have a question for you. Why do teenagers eat so much junk food? Is it just the way it is, or is there something more beyond it? In today's podcast and post, we'll consider the parents' role in training our teens about life and health. I'll reveal how following the common path of the world creates people who are given over to their appetites with the result of living a lifestyle of sickness and medical interventions. Join me now as we examine the underlying philosophies and spiritual assumptions which show up on our dinner plates and how to lead our teens to health, freedom, and the path of life. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another program of Beyond Everything Radio. I'm your host. My name is Kevin Winder. So glad to have you with me. And we are in a series uh, that is quite different. I know um, in the past, my series on parenting was the most forwarded uh, series that I've ever had in the six years of podcasts and 10 years, more than 10 years of blog posts. Uh, Many of you have asked me to do a series on teenagers, and because I have two teens that are doing really well, and we've had a lot of interesting discussions about how do you get your teens to do those things. Um, Many of you have asked me, hey, you should do a series on raising teens and focusing on teens. And so I am, and we are now in our fourth installment. Today, uh, we are going to talk about the care and feeding of our teens. It's the fourth port, fourth port, fourth part of our Parenting Teens series called Care and Feeding. It's podcast number 371, and it begins right now. And let's just start off by saying, if you are just joining the series, if you've missed the other three, what I'm doing is a little different. I'm not just giving you how to get your kid to do what you want, uh, tricks and techniques or things like that. Um, Ultimately, uh, what I'm driving at is the underlying spiritual and philosophical assumptions which actually produce your parenting choices, which, which produce your decisions in raising your kid, disciplining your teenager, how you're going to set your family rules, what are the expectations, what are you getting at? Uh, Is it perfunctory compliance to rule or is it training the heart? And so you know me, I'm going to the spiritual root. And today I'm going to talk about this care and feeding, Uh, health and life and food, exercise, lifestyle choices are huge if you want your child to succeed. Not only do they learn uh, discipline, do they gain physical health, uh, but the choices they're making, right? All of these things are not just, oh, leave it to the teen and they'll figure it out. We are in the midst of a, of a river that's rushing. And as a parent, you have to get them to turn around and go against the tide because the common world is a highway on the way to destruction. And what I'm offering you in this series are the keys which will help you navigate the river and free your child from its inevitable end. How does that sound? (laughs) Okay. So, folks, you are the parents. I am a parent. We are the primary influence in the life 
of our young person with regard to eating habits and lifestyle choices, and we set the stage for their disposition towards drug interventions. Like this is a massive philosophical watershed. Parents are the teen's personal food and drug administration. Like you are it. Like you adopt the full 100% AMA medical thing as of 2023, then you're going to load your child up with uh, vaccinations and inoculations and all kinds of recommendations, right? All of which have their benefit. I'm not here as a science detractor. I work in the sciences myself. However, you start on that path and these become the sole authority for decisions you make. And it absolutely changes the direction and health of your young person. Now, most teens do not make the healthiest food choices. And we look at this and we go, well, they have a metabolism. They just burn it off or it's food that they like, they crave, they enjoy. So they eat it. You know, I can tell you this. I offered my son and my daughter $100 to drink a Mountain Dew, and they rejected the $100. There's no way they would do it. Now, most of you have to try and get your kids to stop drinking sugary drinks and sodas. So how did that come about? My point here is, again, not bragging in any way, but to say that underlying this is a philosophy of parenting which either emits true health and lifestyle choice or it adopts the world's river on the, or wide road on the way to destruction. That's how I like to frame it. So the subject is actually more indicative here of a parent's inability to instill healthy habits. My kids will eat occasionally a junk food or something, but like literally it's been a decade since they've ever eaten a McDonald's or something like that. It's, it's like Chipotle is as fast food as we get. Now, why is that? Those are values. Those are philosophies. There's understanding, there's science, there's appreciation for life and health behind it that goes into all of this. We don't show up with a pizza on a Friday night. So, Let's think about this. Behind every food choice is an underlying architecture for deeper issues such as control, satisfaction, pleasure, self-image. Like all of these things bubble out of these food and lifestyle choices, which tells us this is a deeper philosophical consideration. The family home profoundly shapes a child's relationship with food, portion size, and health. Like you know this to be true when you're at the grocery store and you see a really heavy set kid and then all of a sudden you see the parents. What do you usually see there? Right? When you see, you know, uh, parents who are active and out and running, like they bring their babies, their kids out active and running on hikes and, you know, jogging strollers and bike rides. Like they, the kids are just brought into that lifestyle. So, folks, this, don't take that lightly. Your child's health is coming from you and your adoption, your propensities, your addictions are being passed on, adopted, trained, your portion size, your food choices, all of this stuff 
starts with parents. And I know I don't let parents off the hook here, but please take this into consideration. There is lasting impacts here, and I'm going to pull some of that out. These familiar patterns establish biochemical addictions. They establish emotional associations, which will follow the person into their adult life. And then when they're 40 or 50 and they're facing huge health crises, what are they doing in the therapist's office? They're deconstructing all of that that you're doing now. What if you could avoid all of that later and give them a better, more healthy life? As a parent, won't you do that? See, our parenting philosophy, our spiritual absorption of what we know to be true is actually visible on the dinner plate. It's profoundly revealing. The way you approach dinner, it doesn't have to be fancy. My wife works and our lifestyles are very busy and she doesn't want to spend hours preparing gourmet health, super, uh, you know, ultra healthy meals. Every meal is ultra healthy, but it's simple. It's basic. Beans and rice many times have been our meal uh, and it's unapologetic. Mostly all we eat are vegetables with a little protein and simple things. So it can be done, folks. Nutrition is a vital part to our physical, our mental, our emotional health. And it's been proven that the government's guidelines for what constitutes a healthy diet is not universally reliable. Most people disagree with the government's recommendations. Shocker. Now, even if the government's recommendations were the very best of nutrition and health, most people wouldn't even follow its advice anyway. When Michelle Obama offered the My Plate I thought it was a great idea to kind of reframe portion size, uh, types of food that you should be eating and like what might be missing from your plate. Like some people would just eat, you know, mac and cheese and a burger and there would be no vegetables on their plate. Things like that I thought were helpful. And now we have this new pyramid, which relies heavily on grains and cereals and carbohydrates, which comprise almost all of processed foods, not healthy whole foods. Now, behind all these studies and these adoption of trends, you have to know by now, and I'm not just being cynical, but the dollars from the food industry lobbies the government for these study outcomes. My point here is that whether or not you believe the FDA is trustworthy has little to do with our ability to manage our appetites. I mean, do we really think the government can solve the deeper problem here if most people are blissfully unaware of it? So my point is not to just throw total distrust into the FDA and all that. If you read through it carefully, it's not offering bad advice necessarily. My point is that even in its attempt to offer some helpful advice, the world is not listening. So who's it going to listen to more, you or the government, parents? You see, the obesity and poor health epidemic is first and foremost a parenting problem. I know. You don't want to hear that. You probably are going to unclick. It's not popular. I know this series is getting at the responsibility of the parent. 
if you want your child to take responsibility for themselves, we need to start by showing them what that looks like. And poor health and obesity is a parenting problem. Um, it's also first a spiritual problem. So why does that matter? You see, so far in this series, I've shown how the underlying worldview and sense of self are the foundations for a whole and healthy teen development. And from these spiritually discerned realities grow either a pathos or an ethos with regard to everything else. You see, out of these spiritually discerned realities comes how we live. The way most people relate to food is pathological. Do you understand that? Like your relationship to food is probably, like mine, mostly a pathology. It's mostly a problem. It's a, it's a horrible dysfunction. Food in our culture is viewed not as the building blocks to build, heal, and repair our body, but the means of satisfying our cravings, filling us up, giving us pleasure, uh, and even if it's making us sick and weak, we don't care because this is good. Uh, this fills me up. This makes me happy, right? Uh, this is proven by the prominence of restaurants, TV shows, commercials, like food networks <laughs> that cater to the appetite rather than health. You know as well as I do, uh, a burger joint with horribly healthy food is going to be more successful than a health food restaurant. Now, the most common causes of sickness and death and emotional decline are directly linked to lifestyle choices, which impact health. And we all are paying the price for this. Our sick and declining health of our country is raising the cost of medical care and health costs. And it's everybody's paying for this. Now, the path of progression from poor food and lifestyle choices in adolescence is linked directly to a world of prescription drugs and the function of modern medicine. Food and medicine are, they go hand in hand, uh, but the world likes to disconnect them. And the connection between poor food and poor health is often diminished. Like, we all see it. We all kind of know when you eat a bunch of crap, you're going to have crappy health. But at the same time, there's this medical intervention. It's like, well, yeah, you're diabetic, but here's a drug for that. Or yeah, you're really getting heavy, but you know, try this instead of changing your diet. Like, instead of quitting sugar, you know, just keep going down this road and there will be a therapy to kind of contradict that symptom you're experiencing. When a pill or a therapy can alleviate the symptoms caused by our poor choices, it also alleviates our personal responsibility. The pharmaceutical industry and the med medical system divide people into these little subspecialties that don't always speak very well together. I mean, you go to your family practice doctor with an elbow problem. He says, oh, you go to the elbow doctor and you talk to your elbow doctor and he's like, yeah, that looks like it's more of a shoulder thing. You're going to have to see a shoulder doctor, right? The result is an ongoing cascade of medical interventions that address symptoms and not always root causes. And yes, within this system, there are doctors who get the holistic approach and there are systems that do talk to each other. So it's not all bad. But 
there are conditions for which drug therapies are truly helpful and life-saving. But the sheer volume of direct-to-consumer advertising of prescription drugs should cause us to reflect more deeply upon the underlying philosophy. In an hour of TV, how many drug commercials do we actually see? Is that really the philosophy we need? Just take the pill. Just take the pill. Folks, we became sick from our parents eating philosophies. And now we remain sick by adopting our own or some more mutated philosophy of the world of medicine and pharmaceutical drug pushers. Behind this whole system is the negation of our personal responsibility and our power to choose and regain our health. Now, I say that not flippantly. I recognize that, yeah, everybody tries to pull out the personal responsibility thing later. Like if you go after a, you know, a big soda manufacturer and say, look, your drinks are making our children obese and unhealthy, they say, hey, it's personal responsibility. They don't have to drink it or drink the volumes that we have, right? Uh, but we all know, we all know that the two are linked together, right? So food alters mood. Sugar is proven to be highly addictive. And the negative flow here is obvious. However, the positive flow is often diminished. You see what I'm saying? Like we see that bad food leads to bad health. But then if you turn around and you tell people, hey, good food can actually um, lead to good health without drug interventions, they call that junk science. Choosing food for its effect of stabilizing our mood lowering anxiety, balancing our hormones, reducing inflammatory diseases, reducing the impact of insulin or managing our gut microbiome are there's often viewed as fringe science. It's weird. Like how did it get that way? Well, we know how. We must keep in mind that the same science that told us, you know, 15, 20 years ago that a high sugar, low fat diet was heart healthy according to the AHA. How do I know? I used to work there. I used to, I used to go on and tell people, you know, don't eat all of that fat and protein and everything else. Here, have this low fat muffin instead. Eat a bunch of low fat yogurt. And, you know, it's like, it's okay if it has 50 grams of sugar. It's low in fat. But now they're not saying that. So the science you trusted with your life 20 years ago is not the science you would trust today. So we have to follow the money so that we can see where the truth is revealed. Pay attention to some of this other stuff. The alternative world is bringing a tremendous amount of healing and it can't be ignored. Now, our confused world is unwilling to connect the rampant overprescription of ADHD, anxiety, and other therapies for mood and emotional disorders. I mean, if you just Google overprescription, um, those are going to show up. Like the vast amount of uptake of these kinds of psychotropic drugs is astronomical, especially in children. And the negative impact of the modern Western diet on such mental health conditions is vital for me to bring to the foreground of your consideration. I mean, do you think a diet 
The standard American diet, which produces insulin resistance, vitamin and mineral deficiencies, and obesity in nearly 70% of Americans is somehow adequate for producing mental health and stability? Do you think there's a correlation to the rise in anxiety and depression and all of these other kind of mental disorders? Of course there is. It has everything to do with our diet. Yes, there are cases where these therapies are necessary. And folks, if you or a family member are on one of these therapies, do not discontinue them without the supervision of a doctor. That could lead to huge, dangerous levels of biochemical imbalance in your brain, which could lead to massive problems. So if you're on a therapy, stay on the therapy, but work with your doctor if you're interested in exploring how food can actually replace that. Now, my point is that the pathology of the world obscures the fact that food is a spiritual discipline which sets our life on a course. Spirituality and diet always go hand in hand, folks. You've never seen a system of faith that ignored food. There's always fasting. There's always different kinds of abstinence from t during either a time or a type of food. And that which is inside of us directs what is outside of us. That's the spiritual prominence of this kind of teaching. A parent, if you have, listen to me, parents, if you've lost this spiritual connection in yourself, you will have teenagers who lack this vital key to success in life. If you lack a spiritual true north, your teens will never have it unless somebody else gives it to them. You can't take them and lead them where you have not been. So the world goes around and says, hey, don't feel guilty about the thing you just ate. You didn't do anything wrong. But spirituality always says the guilt you feel is real. Listen to it because you have sinned against yourself and you know it. So which voice are you going to listen to? Oh, pay no attention. You can have that cobbler eating it in a hotel room all by yourself with your sense of shame. It, that You shouldn't feel bad about that. Celebrate who you are, right? Or is that something inside you eating at you? I say listen to that thing that's eating at you. Go deeper. Find the spiritual sin, so to speak and work there and see what changes. When you sit down to eat with a ruler, scripture says, observe carefully what is set before you and put a knife to your throat if you are given to your appetite. Do not desire their delicacies for they are deceptive food. Proverbs 23, one through three. What about this one? Uh, in Proverbs 28, seven, the one who keeps the law is a son with understanding, but a companion of gluttons shames his father. Proverbs 10.4, a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. What, what is this spiritual training getting at? It's saying take responsibility. Do not give in to your appetite. They are terrible guides. And what I'm inviting you to consider is this path offered to us in our world is really only partial truth. 
It's not an outright lie. There is truth, and you should learn the truth that's offered and live by it. But it's not all that is true. It takes the integrated whole of creation and it subdivides it into these disintegrated controllable pieces, leaving one's spirituality as an unimportant option. It's, you know, it's your personal preference. Just set it aside. It doesn't really relate to science or food or your health. Then the system addicts each of us to our appetites, which are horrible guides, like I said. And then they imprison us into a closed system, which alters our chemistry. They have an intervention for you, a chemical intervention. Then the path from food to drug intervention is seamless and trained into us from very early on. You see, if I were raised today as a kid, I'd likely be told that I have ADHD and be given some kind of medication to control my spazzy behavior. People are always saying, man, you're such a spaz. Why can't you sit still? I'd sit in my chair and my leg would be moving constantly, just wiggling, and it still does sometimes today. You know, I, what I needed wasn't some therapy, some drug to wear off the edges to calm me down. What I needed was to get out and run. I needed to wear myself out on my bike or go explore things. I needed to, you know, I didn't need a drug. I needed to get out. My anxiety and the melancholy of my teen years that was often made me feel very depressed. It, it was normal, but it was uncomfortable. But nowadays, it's so advertised. Well, if you're uncomfortable, just get a therapy. Just go get a drug. Go see a therapist. Go, go get help, right? And I learned how to work through it. Yes, I'm an adult. I still have anxiety. I still, you know, have moments of melancholy and feel depressed. I don't reach for a drug. I have learned that food changes all of that profoundly. In fact, I was in a a class and they had a study and I can offer it to you if you're interested. Just contact me. It showed that a healthy diet and exercise perform within 1% to 2% difference that's equally as effective as psychotropic medication. Now, what this means is that for all but the most severe cases, lifestyle choice can eradicate the need for drug interventions. I had poor lifestyle choices. I was addicted to sugar. I drank a six-pack a day of Pepsi. Right? No wonder in my 30s, my blood pressure was getting so high and out of control. I was getting stationary. I was gaining weight. They put me on ACE inhibitors. You know, now I'm in my 50s. I'm not on ACE inhibitors anymore. I don't have high blood pressure. I don't have some of those things. Folks, you can make a change. The American diet is actually making us sick. The diet is a choice which is spiritually discerned. Now, listen to me. Please hear this next part. I know it might seem harsh if you're living in this cascade of the wide road to destruction. But please, do not make some massive overcorrection today. Don't go out and say, I'm done with my medication. I'm not taking my heart pills. I'm not taking my blood pressure. I'm getting off my anxiety meds. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm gonna, you're right. I am not saying that. Listen to me. Stay on your medication until you are told otherwise. The problem came to you not in one night. You will not be healed overnight. But if this has 
helped you kind of jolt you awake, then you're now free to begin arming yourself with helpful information. Work in conjunction with your therapist, your doctor, your care teams. Let them know that, hey, if it's possible, I'd like to make lifestyle choices that would potentially get me off of these therapies. Would you help me work in that direction? There's not a doctor or a therapist in the world that would say no unless they are aware of a severe risk to your health. So they need to be consulted. Now, what you can do today is make a slightly healthier choice than what you made yesterday. Don't listen to your appetites and let them choose. Eat a bit less. Purchase less junk food, less processed foods. Choose more healthy foods, whole foods. Just make some substitution in your day that is a vote in the right direction. And one good choice begets another. Focus on reducing the impact of insulin. Don't just snack all day long. Take a break. Give your body a time to heal. Do some fasting. Look at inflammation in your body. Not on, don't focus on losing weight or cutting calories. Just focus on feeding your body, healing it with healthy food, giving it what it needs to thrive. And watch what happens. Watch how your body is designed. And over time, you're going to discover just how much power you actually have over all of these issues. You're not a helpless victim that just is a drug-dependent person. You'll discover that your thinking is superior to your appetite for lifestyle choices. That's being transformed by the renewing of your mind. And if as a parent we do this, I promise you that's when our teens will see it and learn. If you can't do it, yourself. You will not be able to teach your teen to do it. Don't give them the do as I say, not as I do talk. That is parenting failure. Now, Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he's old, he will not depart from it. This means you can really, you can do this. You can give them the tools, a foundation in their youth to live and find health and life. And as they grow old, they'll adapt to it. Just like you would give them a pathological uh, addiction to food and drugs, you can give them uh, a liberating experience towards life and health. And how does a family have an authentic relationship? Honestly, how do they do that? How do they have an honest relationship with each other and the world around them if we are only interacting with some biochemically enhanced version of each other? The right food and supplementation makes a huge difference. And yeah, there are times when therapies are needed, and I believe they need to be embraced for those, those times. But folks, I believe they're overly prescribed by a large margin. And it, it, a person who's free from that is, can really start freeing themselves from this negative self-identity of a sick and drug-dependent person which is perhaps the worst part of the whole thing. You start feeling like, and I remember going through this when I had my blood pressure medication. Oh, I'm on blood pressure. If I missed a day or I was traveling, I didn't have it. Oh my gosh, my anxiety would go through the roof if I didn't have it. It's like, it's my crutch I'm leaning on. I need that drug therapy. Oh, now it's totally different. We are not our therapies. You are not an ad your addiction. You are not your weight. You are not your shape. Folks, I've been saying this in this theory. You are the beloved of God.
That's who you are. But most of us have never known it. And as a result, we can't teach it to our teens. So we just give them the love yourself as you are. And there's something to that, but that's not enough. The world teaches us to love our sickness, which comes from our appetite. And wisdom teaches us that healing is a lifestyle of right living, which the Bible would call righteousness. And that comes from an illuminated spirit. And so folks, I just want to close by saying this. Life and death are set before our teens every single day. It's our job as parents to train them to choose life.